Welcome back to another week, another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, writers, directors, actors, costume designers, production designers, sound editors, sound mixers, uh, film editors, composers, you name it, we talk to them. Um, another fun, fun show this week right here on AdrenalineRadio.com. Or if you're bored and you're at your computer and you don't want to just listen to the show, you can watch the boring live stream of me sitting in the studio uh, on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page. The highlight there is you do get to see my lovely tablescape, um, which has tons of titles in consideration for... Oscars, Golden Globes, BAFTAs, all the all the big awards yet to come this year. And a very special gift front and center from the filmmakers and the producers of the enchanting short animated film Wind Up. So excited. We're going to have the writer-director, Yibing Yang, uh, who will be here at the midpoint of the show to talk about Wind Up, along with the animation director, Jason Keane. And for those of you who are, little bells are going off at the mention of Jason Keane, yes, he is part of the Keane dynasty. Um, His uncle Glenn, his new film this year, Over the Moon, which uh, is in hot contention for Best Animated Feature, and uh, a few other things. Um, then, of course, there is Glenn Keane so, um, and Bill Keane. So Bill Keane created the comic strip, The Family Circus. So animation is in Jason's blood. Um, so I can't wait to speak with, uh, with both Jason and Yibing about Wind Up. And I have to say, it's free on YouTube to watch. So if you want to quickly watch the actual 9-minute, 55-second video before they join us at the midpoint of the show. You've got time to do that. Uh, but if not, we're going to jump into our first exclusive pre-recorded interview. Um, Fisher Stevens. You all know Fisher Stevens. Fisher Stevens has been around almost as long as I have uh, in this industry. He is producer of the Academy, Academy Award winner, The Cove. Um, Racing Extinction. He is producer of the Tiger King series that so many people are enamored and obsessed with. Um, He was a producer on Crazy Love, which was uh, the documentary award, uh, Spirit Award winner a few years ago. Uptown Girls. He's previously directed recently and Away We Go, Before the Flood. Um, He picks very specific socially conscious films as uh, traditionally as as a producer and definitely as a director but now fisher has stepped into the director's chair for a narrative feature palmer starring none other than justin timberlake uh it is a film that is about redemption second chances family what defines a family and hope Uh, Timberlake plays a former high school football star who was a hometown hero, went to convicted felon. We've seen a lot of of films recently falling from grace. Uh, 
we've seen uh, Cole Hauser. We've seen Sean Patrick Flannery. Now we see Jason Timberlake. They have this theme of, you know, falling from grace, but then that redemptive value in finding yourself and your true path. Uh, Palmer returns home. He moves in with his grandmother, Vivian, played by June Squibb. Uh, she essentially raised him, but he's trying to rebuild his life in this small town. But, you know, anybody who's ever been to a small town, you know it's, it's kind of difficult uh, because the eyes are always on you. Adding into the mix is a woman named Shelly who lives in a trailer on Vivian's property. And Shelly has a precocious, charming seven-year-old son, Sam, who is played by one of the greatest finds of the year, uh, Ryder Allen. This kid, you cannot take your eyes off him. He is incredible. And the subject of bullying. Um, and push comes to shove, Palmer ends up looking after Sam, reluctantly. Uh, but things, as we can expect, uh, take, a, take a change. Quite a few changes as our story goes on. Uh, the script is by Cheryl Guerrero, cinematographer Tobias Schleiser. You know him for Beauty and the Beast, The Good Liar, Wrinkle in Time. I love Tobias. And as I said, the film stars Justin Timberlake, June Squibb, Juno Temple as neighbor Shelley, Ryder Allen, and Alicia uh, Wainwright. Shot on location in Louisiana. Scoring is by Tamar Callie who did the scoring for Mudbound. So she knows this rural Americana world. So take a listen as Fisher and I really dug in deep in this interview, talking about financing for the film, the casting challenges, things collapsing, things coming back to life, the cinematography, uh, the importance of color, Praying for clouds. Not too many filmmakers pray for clouds during a shoot. But you'll hear Fisher talk about that. The scoring, the casting, finding Ryder, um, getting JT to sign on. It is one of my favorite interviews. Uh, and it's so nice to talk to him other than on the carpet or in the press tent at the Spirit Awards when he picks up an award. Uh, so without any further ado, take a listen to... Fisher Stevens talking about Palmer. Debbie, how are you? Well, I am so excited to actually get some quality time chatting with you and not just a few minutes on a Spirit Awards carpet. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad, too. I have a lot to talk about. I'm just kidding. No, you do have a lot to talk about. I mean, I have been following your work on screen and, and behind uh, the camera for years. At first, when I heard about Palmer and you were directing it, because you're, you're known so much behind the camera for producing and directing documentaries. And Palmer is not a documentary. It's a narrative with Justin Timberlake. This has got to be something really special for Fisher to say, ooh, me, me, I want to direct this. I got to tell you, Fisher, this is a gut punch. It is emotionally exquisite i am in love with this film and i can see why you direct why you wanted to tell this story why you brought tobias in who i've known for many years 
this is heartfelt movie making and it's fabulous oh, thank you thank you thank you so much i, I mean what? yeah yeah i had uh, i got lucky with the bias i you know he's used to, he told me he's had lighting budgets bigger than the entire budget of this movie <laughs> the man did beauty so. and the beast and i and <laughs> yeah how did this come to you and was there any one thing that really jumped out at you that said, it's not a doc, but I got to make this? I think the, the the two or three elements were that one, um, my nephew Max was Sam at seven, and I just really related to to Sam's character. And um, my, my sister uh, and her husband just kind of supported Max to, you know, he, he played with dolls, he liked to wear dresses, all of his friends were girls, and he grew up this beautiful, well-adjusted kid who's now, like, gonna go into show business. He's, like, going into, you know, starting college. So I thought these kids, like Max, need to be represented in film. So I, I loved the portrayal. And I love the fact that there was a, putting him with this, ex-football player, tough guy coming out of prison in red state America. Trump had just been elected president when I read the script, and I thought, let's bring these these two together on screen. What an exciting kind of uh, duo, dynamic duo that I've never seen before, um, and uh, and set it in rural America, a place where I've, I've rarely spent time myself, you know, so I wanted to kind of experience it and and then I wanted to take all that work that I've learned from doing documentaries and the, the, the learning curves that I had, and, and I thought I could really kind of imbue that into this film because I love authenticity in filmmaking, mm -hmm. and I love reality, grounding everything, and I saw a way to kind of put that into this film. And I knew the only way this movie would work is if it was real and authentic, and had you know that was like our motto when we were making it so i just was like this this is a beautiful story cheryl wrote a beautiful script i have to make it i didn't i i, I did know it would be it, it, it was tough it took about you know over almost four years to make but that's showbiz well i'm sure this is not the kind of story and script that financiers were jumping up and down saying take my money take my money make your film right no i had to um I had to cast it with the right person. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I almost had it going in, in 2018 um, with a different cast. Uh, I hadn't closed the deal with the Palmer, but I had a guy interested and I had a kid that I liked and, and we were scouting and, and the whole thing just fell apart, which is like, oh my God. And you hear these stories, but I never gave up. I knew I had to make this film. And uh, I was making another documentary at the time with Justin, um, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. And his, I sent the script to his manager just to get advice. Like, I need to make this movie. Um, he has a very powerful manager. And the manager's like, Justin Timberlake should play this part. We represent him. And I'm like, what? I didn't even think of him. And I was, you know, he, I recalled like how great he was in certain movies, you know, like Llewellyn Davis and Social mm -hmm. Network. And, but I hadn't seen him in a movie in a while, and um, I, you know, they gave him the script, he responded, but of course it wasn't like, yeah, man, I'll do your movie. No. He was on tour in a concert for like a year, and, uh, but 
I, I could tell that he was peaked. His interest was peaked. And, uh, you know, we, we, we started this long, long kind of relationship on the phone, working on the script together. I could tell he was starting to get more and more into it. And uh, eventually it just worked. And he said he'd do it if we got the right kid. And, uh, and that was it. We were off to the races. Wow. Well, I love the the whole sense of rural Americana that you bring to us and the real-life, real-time feel, much as you said, um, with a documentary kind of sensibility initially. And this is where your collaboration and your work with Tobias is so wonderful in telling this story visually because initially we've got everything it's i it's close-ups not ecus but just regular close-ups on palmer with and at eye level with him once we get and he's always the camera is always positioned so that he's kind of in a position of power at most times we've got vivian who's generally sitting at a table sitting in her chair he's standing sam gets introduced and we have that chasm, that divide. The camera comes out a tiny bit. But as the two of them, as Sam and Palmer start bonding and connecting, the camera framing starts shifting so that, number one, it widens out to show this expanding world of Palmer's, but also this eye level, the meeting of the mind, so to speak, of Sam and Palmer so that that final shot of the film, man, you got the two of them, he's on the ground with him. Visually, you can watch this relationship and this story unfold just by the framing and the and your depth of field in certain instances. It's really, a, it, visually, it's a joy to watch. Uh, wait, did you interview Tobias before me? No, I have not spoken to Tobias in about a year and a half. Sounds like you did. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's very uh, observant and astute. Um, yeah, we, uh, you know, we, we chose to to use uh, these old lenses, these K35 lenses um, that are very intimate and they give you a feeling of just place, you know. And because we were low budget, I, I would have obviously loved to shoot on film, but we couldn't afford to shoot on film. But we had that film feeling in our head and that kind of very raw. I mean, we watched documentaries also. We watched some Maisel Brothers films and Frederick Weissman films to kind of get us psyched and excited about capturing this real life of this world um but yes and and that last shot is tobias basically following them and then going down on his knees and and getting that shot you know with the camera on his shoulder um so uh yeah it was a it was a great collaboration with him and and the production designer happy Massey, who's one of my dear friends in new york um we really and happy and tobias had worked together too so I had this kind of A-list team making a kind of C-list uh, or C salaries, um, but they were we we fell in love with the material, and I think we really all wanted to work together um, and and collaborate together. But there was a there was a sense of of that, and and Sam, um, you know, uh, when I got this when I found this kid Ryder, I 
I was very nervous because he was only seven and I didn't have a lot of hours with a seven-year-old. Um, he, he was a little younger than I kind of had imagined in terms of the, the physicality, uh, the logistics of casting. I wanted a boy who looked seven, but maybe he was a little older, so I'd have a little more time to shoot. But that was the this boy rider who walked into our lives and we knew it was him. So I asked Peter Bogdanovich, who had directed Paper Moon, I was like, Peter, how did you direct Tatum O'Neill? This movie, Paper, Paper Moon, was another inspiration for me and Tobias. And, mm -hmm. uh, a movie that we watched um so peter was like you know go down on the boys level when you talk to him and uh never never talk to him like a child he's an adult he's like everyone else even though he is a child but keep his confidence strong don't make him feel insecure but let him know at the same time that you know don't don't look don't talk down to this boy and that was a good lesson and i also you know like i like you noticed in the shooting of filming of him you know when we made an, a real choice to go down to his level at times and that or to look down on him and whether justin is is going down to his level which he eventually does or not was a was a conscious choice on our part as well it's wonderful because it's really it's sam's voice that drives this film. Sam is the catalyst for a lot of Vivian sensitivity. Sam is definitely the catalyst for moving Palmer along in life and getting him to acknowledge his own shortcomings and just live with them. Own up, live with it. You're a good guy. Um, and it's really lovely to see that because it also, what you give us, Fisher, is with Sam's voice driving this, it's the pure innocence and honesty of a child. It's like, this is what it is. You can always count on a kid to just, this is what it is. Oh, like it is, yeah. And yeah. that is so refreshing to see. Oh, nice. Yeah, and he's so he's such a beauty writer, the actor. Um, there's just so much of writer in this role, too. He wasn't exactly the way I had pictured the kid physically, but once he walked in the room and started to read with Justin, it was pretty clear that he was he was our guy, like hands down. I'm curious about the color tone, the to the visual tone, when it comes to the color and the lighting, because for the bulk of the film, there isn't really any color. The only time when we get punch of color, it's really with the flying with Penelope's Princess Club. Um, and of course, for Sam's birthday, we finally see great color introduced. But the weather, it always looks rather gray. I don't know if you guys did that in in post, no. in color correction, yeah. or if Mother Nature just gave you this gift so that then we finally, we have sun, near the, in the third act, we've got the sun and the green and the real green pops on the, on the leaves, on the trees outside the elementary school. And that sun is come, it's just past noon, so it's afternoon. You can tell by the way the beams, the sunbeams are coming down and casting shadow. So I'm, I'm curious, did you want to go with that grayer, more somber because it really helps. It aids in the contemplative yeah. nature of Palmer. Well, we prayed. We prayed for clouds constantly. <laughs> um, we love clouds. Tobias will tell you that. Um, 
the actual color was, uh, I mean, I, I had nothing to do with Mother Nature, but we did really want the beginning of the film to be very gray uh, in terms of the, the, the cloud covering and choosing takes where the clouds were hopefully obscuring the sun. Um, but the other thing which you noticed was, uh, which you mentioned, there was no splash of color. There were two major splashes of colors. There was the, um, when Sam dresses up as the princess, mm -hmm. there was the, the, the actual princess show on TV, which is colorful, but it's muted because it's an old TV. And then there's, um, there's the birthday candles. Uh -huh. And then there's Jer and then there's Jerry's truck, which is red and dangerous. Uh, the bright red pickup yep. truck, which kind of is a bad omen. Other than that, there were no reds, there were no oranges, there were no um, pinks, there were no um, brights. It was all, and, and all the clothes, Megan Coates, great costume designer, and uh, all of her, you know, we, we, Megan, Tobias, and Happy and I really, you know, we did a whole color palette in a book um, beforehand and movies that actually ironically a lot of the movies that were my influences for this were black and white so there wasn't any color mm -hmm. period, you know um, or or color like Fat City which is John Huston film Stacy Keach which is also very muted and, and, and it's it was um, you know like it was it was that world the Eggleston kind of world of diatones and, and like that that we really had in our heads making this um, and so it, it, it was all done uh, with a script, a color script that we had. And then, you know, ironically, we shot in the winter in Louisiana, which is, uh, you just never know what it's going to be. I mean, wow. we were praying that there wasn't going to be a hurricane. And we got really lucky. The weather gods were really with us, except for one scene where it was absolutely freezing cold. Um, and it was 32 degrees at one night mm. during a scene, and, and we'd already established the wardrobe, so I felt really bad for Justin and Alicia. Oh. Yeah, that was that was rough. Something else that really stands out for me is, number one, you bring Juno Temple in, and Juno is a fireball. And she yeah. is just, she can give you any emotion, any character, and a range within that I just love watching Juno, and I, I love watching, I've had the, the privilege to see some things where she's done, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff, where she's given different volumes of the same scene, and it's always a treat to watch her, and same here. Um, but what really stands out in defining Palmer's shift and the two women in his life are the, are the two sex scenes, which I have to say are beautifully shot in both yeah, instances. But the energy, the freneticism, and that's where your ECUs go. The, the, Tobias is in there with those ECUs. It is yeah. uh, just moving, moving. The camera moves, and it doesn't stop between Palmer and Shelley. But then the, yeah. la the languid softness that we get with Palmer and, and Maggie. That contrast tells us so much in those brief, what, 60 second? Yeah, they're fast. Yeah, they're 60 fast. second yeah. scenes um, tells us so much about his journey and who he is, but also helps define Maggie and Shelley. Really, yeah. really amazing. Great. Really amazing, well, Fisher. Oh, that's good. You know, uh, we are low budget, and um, we 
we were like really struggling uh, to to make our days, and and the the last scene that we had was uh, because we didn't make our day when we were supposed to shoot the sex scene with with Maggie, uh, Alicia, and Justin, and um, we so we we found this other you know we had to shoot that at a whole other location, and that was the last thing we shot. And we had to really, you know, the producers were super cool, but you know, we were we had really pressed the last day of shooting, and it turned into like one of those 18-hour days, you know, because we had to finish everything, and uh, that was the last thing we shot. But Justin was so, as we all were, but he's like, we have to shoot this to show the difference. We have to get it, and uh, you know, we were lucky. We went a little bit over budget that day, but we got that. We got that, and it was just so important that we did. And I'm. I'm glad you recognized uh, the importance of that scene. Oh my God! Um, it's... Yeah, that was also also extreme close up because we had to shoot it in a whole other location, <laughs> and you couldn't set dress the whole other location. No. Oh, oh well, my! Yeah, no, yeah. Happy did a great job. Uh, there, yeah. You know, I've got to ask you about your scoring, Tamar Kali's scoring which I loved. She did Mudbound and The Lie, both yeah. both of which I loved. And she very good at bringing in that Southern feel, that rural feel into the music and does so here. Um, but I'm curious about your conversations with Tamara, what you were looking for musically, because also we get some great tonal shift through the music changing as well. And I really well, like yeah. that. Yeah, she's special. Um, I, I'm, I had a whole other vision of this score, and um, to be honest, with the temp score, uh, I and I and I actually uh, had a different composer in mind originally. That was a very different idea, and I laid in a lot of that stuff, and it just wasn't working. Um, and I had to rethink my entire musical uh, idea for this film. I, I really had to do a 180 um, because the music supervisor, Liz and, and Missy, calling my music editor, we, we, we knew things weren't working. And I had been, I was like, I've got to rethink this because uh, I was going down the line with somebody else and I uh, saw Mudbound again. I just was like listening and I, I was like, Oh, and then I thought cello. I said cello. I needed cello. Mm -hmm. um, and then I listened to Mudbound, but there wasn't that many cellos. But then this movie Shirley uh, came out, and and Liz sent me the score to Shirley, uh, Liz Gallagher, my music supervisor, and Shirley was all cello. And it, I had no idea that Shirley was the same person that did Mudbound. And then it was like, oh my God, this is this is it. I want cello and guitar, and this is my person. And so I called Tamar, who actually lives in Brooklyn like I do, mm -hmm. um, and it was at the height of the quarantine. And um, we uh, we had many phone calls, and uh, she had to deliver the score quite quickly. And I think she did an incredible job, and I loved working with her. Um, and it was a cello, electric guitar, basically score. Yeah, um, because I, and I just cello is so emotional, and I was like, I, I just thought we needed that color, you know. Uh -huh. um, and it just worked out. And then we had some great uh, tracks, but then I needed a last song, and um, I, I had no final song because we were using this song, and I thought I'd try to license it, but 
I still wanted to create something original. And I was driving, uh, I was renting a house upstate, and there's a great radio station, 100.1, it's a Woodstock radio station. And I heard this song on the radio called Time Stands by this guy, Nathaniel Rakeliff. And I was like, that's Palmer's voice. That guy's got to sing my last song. And I cold called him. Uh, and Liz also knew his manager. And I was like, oh my God, you gotta do my my movie. I sent him the movie, Justin got on the phone with him. Justin talked through the emotions and the feelings and the ending, what it was like. And Nathaniel wrote this amazing song called Redemption. And I, uh, I was upstate this morning as I'm driving in to talk, you know, to come into the city. Woodstock Radio played Redemption. <gasps> oh my God. Oh my god. Come in the song from Palmer coming to you on Apple TV. January 29th. I was like, holy shit. Look at this. Oh my goosebumps. I actually was going to ask you about that end song. Because I I think it's fabulous. Fabulous. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Oh my god. You know, I'm I'm really curious, Fisher, um, about coming up with your pacing here because a film like this, as you well know, it can drone, just drone, and you're sitting there, you know, looking at your watch. Is it over? Is it over? This does not. You're working right. with your longtime editor Jeffrey Richmond, who does all your Tiger King yeah. stuff, and uh, and he did Racing Extinction for you. So I'm curious about. The challenge of the editing here and finding the pace, because you've got the energy of Sam, and then you've got the reflective, um, pensive nature of Palmer. You've got the freneticism that Shelley brings. So I'm curious how you melded all of that to find a proper pace. Well, it's difficult. The big, the big issue for us was really the first act because it's so slow and it's mm-hmm. written so languidly. So um, I'd say that was where we struggled quite a bit was the first act. Um, but the other big issue I had was, you know, I was lucky enough to get to edit for eight weeks before we went into lockdown, um, and uh, and and so the the eight weeks gave me an opportunity to screen a couple of times for people in a room. But what I really missed was screening for people in the room and feeling a pace because you can really feel a pace when you have an audience. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, that's the key. And um, so it was difficult, you know, feeling, finding that pace, especially the pace in the first 30 minutes, which I really struggled with. Um, it, it wasn't easy, but the music, once I met Tamar and once she started kind of putting stuff in, it, it made it, it helped me identify it um, and feel the pace even more. I, I really think once I kind of had a sense of what the music was, it helped inform the, the pace, especially in the, the first act. Mm-hmm. But it's never, it's never easy paces. <laughs> Pace is crucial. So crucial. And it is it is the death of so many films that that you look at you look at all the elements and the film. Okay, it's got great cinematography, great costuming, great cast, great performances, 
but then it just dies with because of the pacing but that definitely yeah, does we, not happen here we tried to make a, yeah we worked on every i mean all directors that say this and all hopefully do this but you just have to work on every single frame making sure it's as good as you can possibly get it you know fisher how so. how beneficial is it for you to have been a working actor for we won't say how many years but it's a whole lot um, yeah. But yeah. how beneficial is being an actor when you step behind the camera to direct, especially a narrative feature where you're working with other actors? Well, it really helps. And one of the reasons I wanted to be a director is I started working with a bunch of directors that just didn't even acknowledge the actor, didn't even talk to us. You know, so many directors come from screenwriting and are used to being in a room by themselves. Um, you know, and usually those are not the better directors. You got a lot of great writer directors. I don't want to put the, you know, there's a million Quentin Tarantinos, and I mean, there's a lot of not a million, but there there are great writer directors, and then there are a lot of writer directors that just don't talk to actors, and I found it frustrating. So, I found being an actor helps because we know what Justin and Sam and Ryder are all going through, and we really created a. Uh, I think with this movie in particular, we created. And, and an ensemble and this ensemble is uh imperative so whether you are craig sheffer playing the bartender with a couple lines or whether you're you know rider with them you know we, we we all kind of looked at it like we were a theater troupe or a troupe of let's say the palmer troupe and i thought that was really helpful and i i really went deep with each each role you know whether it was a smaller role or a bigger role i wanted everybody to feel that they were an incredibly essential part of this film and i wanted them to bring it and bring everything they have and bring their homework and and so that these these roles are well rounded out and i asked them questions and if they needed help or i gave them my opinion about what what their character was beforehand but said like that's my opinion i want to hear your opinion and it made it uh, i think a much more exciting uh an inclusive process. Mm-hmm. And that was Fisher Stevens talking about everything, uh, including the kitchen sink and the clouds, uh, for Palmer. Palmer is available now. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, and Justin Timberlake, he's got some acting chops on him, people. But See, watching Ryder Allen, Ryder Allen will quickly rise to the top of your child actor want to sees because he is amazing. Uh, and we're going to switch gears here. But before we do, sad news came in, uh, breaking news out there uh, during the first half of our show here. Dustin Diamond Str- Screech from uh, Saved by the Bell passed away this morning. Uh, we know that he was recently diagnosed with cancer. Um, he had undergone, I believe, one round of chemotherapy last within the past couple weeks. Uh, but he passed away this morning uh, from lung cancer. So our, our sympathies go out to... This, is, this has been a really tough year already. Um, we lost Cicely Tyson last week. We've lost Hank Aaron. Uh, it's uh, Jamie Tarsi's. Her death uh, was announced this morning. Um, she helped shape television, what it became. Um, 
yeah, this is 2021 isn't starting off too good, guys. But let's see if we can make it better right now because I'm going I'm welcoming here Yibing Yang and Jason Keen to talk about the charming, the enchanting, the the animated short film that made me cry the entire time but they were happy tears talking about wind up. Welcome guys. Hi. 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 Oh, I am so thrilled to have both of you on the show today. Thank you so much. This this short film, it is the best 9 minutes and 55 seconds that anybody will spend watching this short. Thank you for that. It is it really that, that means a lot. It's it really is. It's the beating heart of love. Uh you have no words. You let your beautiful imaging, Jason, and this incredible score um, just from Joaquin Garcia just transport us and and just take hold of our hearts and it doesn't let go. Um, where, where did this piece of magic come from? Um, I mean, it's inspired by my own... Oh, why well, I can hear myself. Oh, uh, it's inspired by my own personal experience. I was often sick when I was a kid. My memory of those days was foggy. But on the other hand, from my parents' perspective, the event was way more serious. Uh, they told me they spent countless nights taking care of me and fighting their own emotions. Uh, I didn't know why they were so worried when I was but... Once I'm older, I start to empathize more with my parents. Um, since I moved to U.S. and far away from my home, it makes me the one that always worries about them. Especially recently, uh, since Wuhan is my hometown, quickly mm-hmm. after the news of the whole city shut down, I got the word that my uncle had to stop his cancer treatment because the overwhelming number of COVID patients um, also, both my cousins still need to work in the hospital, where a lot of their co-workers already got infected. So I video chat with some of them as a kid, but once the camera turned off, uh, the horrible thought will rush back in. And that was the time we were crunching for the film. I remember we were animating the hospital sequence mm-hmm. when the father character feel hopeless and still on tour. At that moment... I could totally sympathize his pain. I guess this is a good example of life imitate art, especially mm-hmm. now at a time when people around the world are isolating, uh, craving for connections, and also preoccupied with the health and well-being of the ones. The story of Wind Up is very relevant. Oh, you know, absolutely. And I have to say, as I watched it, I th- I thought about times when I was little and I was in the hospital and my father was so petrified of hospitals, he wouldn't come visit me. Uh, but he would, what? he made sure I had a transistor radio so I could listen to my favorite songs on the radio while I was in the hospital. Oh. <laughs> So I, I, this, the whole connective tissue here of images and music, 
I think is so important because I'm sure both of you know over the decades there's been there's actually been research done about the importance of music when people are ill because mm-hmm. it does connect it does help heal um, it spurs the brain um, so to see it unfold with these beautiful images and Jason Jason my God I am so in love with the animation here. Um, it's beautiful. Oh, it is beautiful. There's a realism, and yet there is a, there's a, a child's innocence from beginning to end, and it is it truly is magical. How did the two of you, what were the parameters for animating? Because there are so many different animation styles out there. What were your parameters (laughs) to bring life to this magic? So, uh, yeah, we had to be very careful in walking this fine line between choosing to be cartoony, kind of like what we see a lot of in comical um, animated films um, or being realistic. Um, And uh, we didn't want it to be, we we couldn't be too cartoony um, because we needed to hold the emotional weight of the story Um, or we didn't want it to be too realistic. And we still wanted fun and the appeal to come across when Kiki is is sliding down the slide and, and playing hopscotch. Um, and, and I think we found that like fine line. Um, my uncle, uh, Glenn Keane, who's a famous Disney animator, um, directed over the moon, uh, in Netflix, uh, he taught me when I was, uh, in art school, he, I showed him some life drawings and he wrote down on a piece of paper, this, uh, Italian words, Resitura, um, art that hides art. And he told me subtlety is key. And I think that kind of rang true for this film. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so tickled that you mentioned your uncle. I mentioned him at the top of the show. I mean, wouldn't it be lovely to see Over the Moon pick up uh, an Oscar nomination and wind up pick up uh, something similar? Uh, I don't think we've ever had a, an awards scenario um, with an uncle and a nephew nominated for things um, so <laughs> that that's what my fingers are fingers crossed, crossed. <laughs> my fit that's what my fingers are crossed for <laughs> this year um with awards and i love that philosophy that glenn imparted on you jason because we see that in the delicacy of the animation we get the asian influence with the little cherry blossom branches and the subtlety, and then it goes off into a shadow for the things that are hidden, almost like the dark recesses in a mind, and trying to bring things into focus. There is so much nuance. And then the way color is used, you never overpower us with color here. Um, And I found that really lovely. Uh, Because so often, as I'm sure you both know, that... There's so many animators and directors. It's like, okay, it's only nine minutes long. Okay, let's let's just flood this with color, man. Let's get those neons there. Let's saturate this puppy. And here, everything is subtle and beautiful and calming. Thank you. Um, I I'm just you know, so the, blown away. 
Jason? Yeah, one of the things that really helped that, uh, and you, even you can chime in at any point, um, was the fact that we're using kind of this new technology uh, or not new to a lot of film uh, anime, uh, filmmakers and, and um, especially the animators, which was the, the real-time rendering mm-hmm. with Unity. And um, we're able to see these kind of final products instantaneously uh, rather opposed to uh, traditionally it would take maybe three months to get this final look or render out once we're done animating or working on a scene or a lighter is working on a scene. And, um, and with that instantaneous collaboration with the lighters, uh, you can please chime in on the, the light, the lighters, cause they did an amazing job. And, um, they, you know, it, it was very streamlined, seamless and effortless in that way. And I think it came across, um, yeah, so glad you've been. Yeah, for sure. We have the best artists on board. So that helps a lot. And at the same time, yes, um, um, this is quite new. We are using real-time engine, which is usually used for things. Mm-hmm. And we try to achieve film quality. So uh, there are hard parts of it because it's kind of new. So we have to try a lot of new things. Half of the team are from people again and half of the team are from features. And, like, this is our first time to collaborate with each other. And we have to try a lot of new things, and we have to invent a lot of new features to achieve this kind of quality. Um, of course, um, for the, like, we take a lot of lessons in it, too, and a lot of them are from, like, west part of Asia, like part of Sudan and Tibet and Sudan. Also, we realized at first we want to go like super realistic, but then we realized and uh, like they cover too much details and probably wouldn't work for real time. They will add up so much polygons. And I'm personally inspired by Evan Rosen, the author. You probably like. You probably never heard of his name, but you probably saw his work. He did the design of the background for Sleeping Beauty. Um, like his style is like combined realism and illustration. Uh, so we try to do the same thing. We keep a clear, clean, smooth silhouette, but we add back with illustrated patterns. So that's helped to yeah. create those kind of magical word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious, how early did music come into play here? Because it's not just about the music, but it's about the images married with the music. Um, did the music, the chicken before the egg, you know, how, <laughs> how, how did this work here? How soon did music come in? And was any of the animation done in tandem with that music. So you have this beautiful lyricism. So the great thing is, oh, can I go on? Um, oh, go ahead. Our, yeah. Our producer, Alex, uh, did soundtracks for like three different movies before he was working on Wind Up. That means he worked with a lot of great composers. So we gather a long list of demo reels and pick one that I thought would fit our storyline best. Also, from the very beginning, we knew that for our film, this one, 
when uh, the music of the one of uh, uh, be the main character. The melody should sound like a song you can sing along with instead of like album music. So I think our composer will change like Garrett Sasha. I hope her philosophy's name right. Uh, doing a really good job because everyone working on this end up coming the melody not yeah. for the um, for the animation we, we it, the music was kind of going on tandem as we were animating and mm-hmm. again uh, big credit to Alex uh, our producer because he was he was kind of filling in a lot of the the music uh, for it and um, I mean it was definitely the composer it was, it was different and the composer was amazing in um, making sure he was matching up with the animation we already did, and and then um, and then there's certain parts where you know the father's humming that uh, you know I had to wait for the music, so it's kind of this dance between the two. Um, but yeah, he did a beautiful job, and you know with the transitions from it being playful to sad to mm-hmm. even haunting, and that melody carried carried through to all those emotions. Oh, I mean, I watched the film again this morning. I think I've only watched it about 10 times already. And my whole drive (laughs) into the studio today, I kept hearing that music in my head. Um, It doesn't leave you. Yeah, everybody wants to have a film called Melody Nonstop. Yeah, the melody is beautiful, and it doesn't leave you. Uh, When you hear it, it stays with you. And... I think that's part of the magic and the warmth of this film is that comes through at every level and it does not leave you. You finish watching this and it's not like you turn off the TV and okay, that's it. You move on to the next thing and you couldn't, and nobody knows what just happened in the, (laughs) on the screen. This stays with you on every level. This stays with you. And I think so much of that is because of the music and because of the melodic nature of it. And then having that animation, have that that lyricism in its flow and in the the character movement. As as you watch our little girl run, as you watch Kiki run, um, you know. Or go into a dark space and you see the hand, the little hands and the little legs, which are just so cute, Jason. I have to tell you, watching, <laughs> watching Kiki run is just so adorable. Um, <laughs> did you have, was there a, ca- a character, a little girl that you patterned Kiki and her moves after? Um, so, Kiki, yeah. Hearing Ebing, you know, meeting Ebing, um, Ebing has this energy and spark of life to her, and immediately it was like, okay, that's got to be Kiki. So Ebing was kind of that inspiration behind uh, Kiki, where you know the love of art and music that you see Kiki have, and her playfulness as she's going down the slide and, and hopscotching on her way, trying to to locate the, the that music box sound, um, and it, it was good to have that contrast when we see her in the hospital and kind of give that emotional punch. Um, now the movement actually was again, our uh, uh, producer Alex had um, 
home videos of his son, and I, I kind of studied a lot of that and like, see how, like, kind of that wobbly type movement mm-hmm. and kind of uh, just burst of energy to propel forward, even though they don't know their balance yet. Uh, it, it was kind of uh, fun to learn from there. Yeah, I mean, because it, it just looked, I can, it, it reminded me of my nephews when they were all very little. And, and, yeah. and especially one of them, and, and would have that kind of tottering um, movement as he would run. Um, it's just everything about this is just so fantastic. You know, and I, I've got to ask the two of you, what is it about animation that speaks to both of you that made you both enter the field of animation? Because not everybody can do animation. Um, it is truly you know, it taps into creativity and senses that I think some other disciplines don't. So what is it about animation that speaks to each of you? Like, I want to become an animator. Like, at that time, I don't think we can actually see a lot of things on Disney. I think I saw a bunch of, like, behind-the-scenes video footages, but like, I after I saw this, so, like, what animators do is magical, I definitely want to do that. Yeah, but, but then there's almost no animation industry in China, and my parents only want me to be either a lawyer, a doctor, or engineer. Like, I was, like, I was working on my sorts, like, on my free time. During my free time, I Finally, finished my master's degree of engineering, and then give to my parents like that's yours. I decided to start all over and came to the US by myself to choose my mission in around 2008. So that's the best decision I ever made. Since then, I've been working in a range of animation studio and tutorial studios. And and what about for so, you, Jason? What what speaks to you about animation? Was this kind of predestined for you? <laughs> um, no, I, I it wasn't. I didn't. Uh, no one told me to do animation. Um, I actually wanted to get into films. I, I love films. I did a lot of uh, film projects when I was in uh, school or you know high school and such. And um, and I tried to get into USC film school and I didn't get in and. And then I thought, well, what am I? What am I supposed to do here? Uh, and I, I, it's funny because you grow up with my uncle, who's well known amongst you know the film and animation community. And same with my grandfather. Um, and uh, I, I didn't realize who he was really at the time. And I was just thinking, oh, my uncle does animation. He works on films. Well, maybe I should just do animation. I'll be able to work on films too. Um, but the passion for animation grew as I, I learned more and more. And uh, I really do think it's, a, it's an ultimate medium that can break down the essence of movement and human emotion. Um, where, you know, you have a painting that's still, or you have something you take a picture of, where you actually become and feel the drawing or the, 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 what you see on screen. Um, so uh, it's a powerful medium. And it's, fun to do as an animator and definitely uh, emotional to watch as an audience. 
Well, and and with a lot of your work, Jason, you've worked on a lot on a lot of these hybrids, such as the chipmunks, uh, chipwrecked. That's a hybrid. Oh, yeah. It's a live action oh. animation hybrid. Mr. Popper's penguins, a live action animation hybrid. Um, does that present unique challenges to you as an animator when you have to blend with live action? It does. It it did at the time. Um, I think it's actually helpful uh, because we had to be very uh, careful in making sure the animation has a sense of believability. Mm -hmm. It almost uh, mirrors the style that we had to to think of here where... um, we, you want it to be cartoony, but too much too cartoony, you kind of uh, lose the the believability of the real world you see around um, because the cartoons in the real world. So um, I think it did. I, I haven't thought of it until you maybe asked this question, but I think it, it kind of it helped a lot actually. Now, uh, will the two of you be? Venturing into another project together, maybe a feature animation? Or was this just a very specific one-time collaboration? Well, I, I'll speak for Eving. I, we, we hope so. We hope uh, we're, we're trying to do something and work on it but, uh, or work, uh, work toward, you know, having that opportunity. Um, but uh, our fingers are crossed and... You know, uh, how yeah, much? Ebing. Yes, Ebing. Yes. Would you I'm like sorry. to work? Would you like to work with Jason again? <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> definitely. Try, I uh, try really hard. Though. Let's see if the next project can get approved or something like that. Yeah. You know, would you? Would you ever consider expanding Wind Up into a feature film? We definitely hope so, but yeah, it's not up to us, really, depending on how successful of wind up currently and what the if, if there are any future for this. Uh, I would love to see this expanded because I think there's so much that you could do in terms of a backstory for Kiki and her father. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we don't have mom, so I I could see this, and I would welcome a feature of Wind Up. I can tell you that right now. Uh, I think it. Oh, thank you. Uh, seeing what the two of you have delivered here, this story that you have come up with, Yibing, and this daddy daughter relationship. Who doesn't want to see more daddy daughter movies? Be they live action or animation, we need more. I, I, that's your that's your assignment. <laughs> <laughs> that's your assignment. So, do either of you have anything else on your plate right now, or is it still just getting the word out about Wind Up? Uh, just getting the word out to Wind Up right now, and we're thinking about the future project. And what about for you, yeah, Jason? Same. Just same thing. Yeah, same thing, pretty much. Uh, I actually. Uh, my son was just recently born, <laughs> so um, so taking a little easy as uh, you know, and seeing if the pandemic kind of gets down, you know, lessens a bit. 
Well, now, of course, you have a reason, you know, to stay at home with your newborn. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You don't yep. have you don't have to leave and go to work. You get to stay at home with the newborn. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I hope this movie gives it, you some tips, some parenting tips, Jason. <laughs> Make sure you uh, have a wind-up handy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have to play with my wind-up that that your lovely production producers so graciously sent out. Um I haven't wanted to to play with it and break it yet, so but I will. Um, oh, Yibing and Jason, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. This has been just so lovely, and I am just I am so in love with this short. I want to see a feature, and I want to see more from both of you, no matter what you do, um, because you are you are incredible storytellers. Uh, from packaging everything up with music and animation to creating animation and the delicacy and the subtlety of life that you inject. It's beautiful to watch. Really is. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And I hope that when you get something else, you'll come back on the show. We'd love to. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. All right. Well, have a wonderful day. <laughs> And thank you both so much. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Yep. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Yibing Yang, writer-director and Jason Keene, animation director of Wind Up. Again, go to YouTube. You can watch it free. Nine, nine minutes and 55 seconds. And you're going to want to see it several times. It is truly magical. Well, that is all the time we have today. Next week, uh, next week we have father-daughter filmmakers uh, joining us at the midpoint of the show. First half of the show, we have another filmmaker with a psycho- talking about a psychological thriller. Um, we're jam-packed the next few weeks with live guests. So I hope you'll join us. If you miss the show, just remember you can find Behind the Lens on all kinds of Behind the Lens radio show on all the podcast platforms as well as on BehindTheLensOnline.net along with full movie reviews, interviews, a lot more than we have here on the show. Um, So, until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 